when I grown up uh, in China as a, as a kid, I never drink milk. And it's not that I don't want to drink milk, but I cannot drink milk. Is there's not no milk available. And uh, you know, back in the eighties, even nineties, it's hard to find milk uh, in China. And because only in the the entire country, only a few dairy farmers stay on farms, and usually those milk was supplied to government officials. Uh, and ordinary people are not able to uh, access to uh, milk. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming soon. Now you have the brightest minds in the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with support and trust of innovative companies like ICC Animal Nutrition, adding value to nutrition, Excellent by Protecta, and novel products for the management of hypocalcemia, its uncomplicated excellence. AB Vista, feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. AB Vista helps dairy producers maximize their herd potential with feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function and overall animal health. From young calves to lactating dairy cows, AB Vista is here to combine industry-leading products and optimal feed strategies to increase your ROI. Good afternoon, Walter, and uh, welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show. Well, thank you, Mark, for having me. Great. So uh, for those of you listening in, um, Walter is a great longtime friend and, and colleague and, and uh, uh, business colleague. Uh, and uh, I'd like Walter to just take a little time to introduce himself and, and, and uh, a bit of his background, um, how he got to where he is and, and what he does currently. Um, I'll just set the stage a little bit. I got to know um, Walter, I, I think, almost uh, 10 years ago, perhaps, um, or more. Um, I had the opportunity to do some uh, teaching uh, in China, along with a good friend and colleague, uh, Daryl Nightum at Cornell University. And uh, those early years, uh, Cornell had what was uh, the, called the uh, Cornell China Dairy Institute. And it was a month-long program, and we, we taught in the morning at an agricultural university, and then in the afternoon we did wet labs at a dairy. And uh, Washa Dairy, um, one of the early larger dairies in China, um, was a client of Walter's. Um, he'll tell you a little bit about his uh, uh, consultancy in China. And uh, that was where I first got to know uh, Walter Chen and, and some of his colleagues. And really, that started the opportunity to uh, work more closely with, with Walter, his, his uh, colleagues, his, his technical team in, in China, and, and uh, the clients that we, uh, we work with uh, jointly. Um, and uh, Walter lives in Fresno, California, and I'm there often, so uh, we get many opportunities to, to, to catch up over dinner and, and uh, with his family and, and learn more about uh, not only... Uh, Walter's history, but but what he's doing day to day with his clients. So with 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 that, Walter, um, can you give us a little background? You have you have quite a varied background, from a, a young man in in China to to uh, graduate work in the USA and owning your own dairy and in, in in the Central Valley also. So uh, give us give us a little background. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Well, um, I was uh, born and raised in China. 
and uh, you know, it's it's kind of uh, strange that uh, when I grew up, I never really uh, uh, seen the cows uh, until I went to college and I went to uh, Southern China Agriculture University. Uh, my major was animal science, so that's when I first see uh, cows. And at the time, it was just uh, you know some state-owned farms that own uh, um, a few hundred cows. So very little. There was no dairy uh, industry uh, per se in in China back in the uh, early eighties. So that's where I I grown up. Uh, how uh, when I became really interested in dairy was when I uh, graduated from college. My first job was with uh, a American dairy farm that was uh, just built uh, right around 85, 86. And his American uh, businessman called Mr. K, um, he decided to invest a dairy farm in Guangzhou, uh, Guangdong province. Uh, at the time, China was just uh, open up, you know, and um, uh, allow foreign invest- investment to uh, go into China. And he saw the opportunity because there was no uh, dairy in China, and uh, he saw that people, uh, children, are not you know able to drink milk. They cannot find any milk anywhere, and of course he's based in Hong Kong. And Hong Kong people certainly uh, wanted to drink milk, so they uh, his idea was to invest in the dairy to produce milk and then export Hong Kong at the time. So when I first uh, went to work at the dairy, the dairy was very modern. I was surprised. It was very, very modern. It was, you know, free store barns with uh, all the cows imported, imported from the United States and Canada. And uh, a free store barn with milking powder, TMR. And it was, it's quite modern, almost as, as good as the one we see today in most of the dairy farms in the United States or even in, or in other parts of the world. And so that was really get me interested in dairy because the management uh, or the uh, a company called uh, Mastock uh, Company is an Irish uh, company that uh, they send all the uh, professional uh, to manage the farm. So I get to meet with a lot of people from all over the world, actually not just uh, the Irish people, but there's a lot of uh, other international uh, professionals, veterinarians, nutritionists, who come to work at the farm at a you know, different time. And so I get to meet a lot of people and learn from them. And that's how I became interested in dairy. Uh, a long story short, how, how I came, you know, come to the United States was that uh, I worked there at the dairy for a few years, uh, three years. And then the, on the, on the, uh, the uh, last year, the, uh, the owner actually recognized me. And I, was got, I got promoted to assistant manager. And then later, uh, he decided to send me to to United States to uh, a graduate school. So I uh, that's how I came to um, the University of Arizona in Tucson, uh, where I did my uh, master's and PhD degree in dairy nutrition. And uh, from then, uh, I became a dairy nutritionist. Uh, I went back actually after graduate. I went back to work for him to manage his company. And uh, later, I came back to uh, return to United States, uh, uh, reside in Fresno, California, and that's where I um, uh, went to work for Cargill. So I worked for Cargill for a couple of years as a dairy consultant. Um, then I traveled, you know, up and down the valley to visit dairy farms and provide technical service to them. Um, 
1997-98, I started my own business as an independent consultant. So I work here in the, in the valley, uh, provide service to the uh, to my clients. At the same time, I started my own dairy farm uh, in 1999. Uh, to around 2007, I sold the dairy. So I have a little bit of experience as a dairy owner myself in, in California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I said that gives you some great insight there. Um, you know, you, you're not just recommending, uh, uh, giving advice, recommending uh, uh, ration changes and, and so forth for your your clients. But, you know, when it's your own farm, that's a, that's a different story, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It gave me a great experience to, you know, to feel what dairyman feels. Because, you know, you're a consultant, you probably don't see from the angle where the dairyman sees, right? But as an owner, you you uh, basically know what, what's going on at the farm all the time, not just the cows, but also uh, also every aspect of the, the farm management, the dairy management, right? From uh, the cost of production to uh, labor, you know, everything else. And that, that really uh, helped me a lot to understand, you know, from the dairyman's prospect. When I, when I, when I, when I uh, consult, doing consulting work, I always see the, uh, uh, what dairyman sees. So you, you sympathize uh, and you also not only sympathize them, but also you see from the angle. When every decision you make is for the interest of the dairyman. That's how you, you can be a good consultant to them, right? Because you're making, helping them make good, good decision for their, um, for the interest. No, and that, that, that's a really interesting background, Walter. I, I recall you saying that as a young child, you, you didn't even have the opportunity to, to drink milk, right? Just given the, the limitations of, of the infrastructure and, and dairies and, and, uh, in China. And, and, you know, and then I also recall you telling me about going out, out in the middle of the night to, uh, to treat a cow for milk fever when maybe the manager wasn't there or, or someone. So you, you really went from, uh, no dairy experience, literally, even in your own uh, daily consumption, to to uh, you know all in on dairy. Right, right, and it's a very um, a very good experience for me because you know if if you uh, if you come to uh, California, you, you don't see a Chinese dairyman, right? And I was like the only one. <laughs> I mean, either consultant or 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 dairy owner. You know, you don't see. Chinese uh, doing dairies very much. Most of them are, you know, Dutch or uh, Portuguese, right? I agree. I, I'm sure you have quite a few uh, stories for another time to, <laughs> on that that transition and and, and you know working um, at that point as a, a minority in the dairy industry. Um, so I guess fast forward to today. Um, uh, really, 100% of your your business is focused on your your group in China. Um, unfortunately, given the the pandemic and, and and some of the regulations in China, I know you and I. I think our our last trips to China were the end of 2019. So even though your business is running there, thankfully you have a great group of partners and, and consultants. Um, you haven't been back there for for quite a number of years, also. So tell us a little bit about what your team is doing in China. Sure, sure. So I founded this company, uh, my consulting company in China, back in the nineteen. Uh, I mean, twenty thirteen. So almost ten years now, and I have a great team. Uh, we have seven consultants on the ground, 
And uh, so the pandemic really uh, kind of uh, has slowed down things quite a bit, you know, some, especially the zero COVID uh, policy that the government enforcing, uh, you know, recently there's just losing the rules now. But uh, for the last three years, uh, there's been a lot of uh, lockdowns, you know, every city, every place they go. So some they got locked down in some remote area. They don't even have a good place to stay and hotel or refuse them to, uh, to take them in. And uh, so sometimes they have to sleep at the uh, the farmhouse <laughs> uh, just to stay overnight there and get away from the city. But uh, has been some challenge. But overall, it, I think it's it's good because we uh, also learn another way to communicate with with our clients. For example, I've been here in California for the last three years, staying home, uh, working mostly at nighttime, communicate with my clients uh, over in China because that's the daytime there. Uh, and uh, it, it, I find another way to communicate is more focused because when you call up for a, a Zoom meeting, they're all, all their attention's on you. Where you go to the farm, talking to you, it can be something else come up and will kind of distract, right? So in a way, it's, it's, uh, it's good that uh, people can focus more on your message and uh, listen to you more carefully. So I, I think in a way, it's good. Uh, the bad, the bad thing is that I can, uh, I can go to see them and see the cows uh, myself. Uh, so my team will have to help me out. They going out there, they'll collect information, uh, and send it to me. So usually I analyze the data before I have any meeting with them. Excellent. And and Walter, I you know I think we probably every business has found that too. And I think now a lot of businesses are in the the process. Obviously, dairy, uh, you know, agriculture is very different. There's a, they're really important to be on site, but we have found ways to, um, when we couldn't, or, or uh, to now uh, blend those uh, capabilities, if you will, and, and, and maybe reduce some travel and be more efficient, but also still have those on-site visits. And, and hopefully in the near future, you know, Ch- China will, will be more open. Um, I guess, Walter, for some of our guests, um, I know... Um, you know, we still work with, uh, with, with uh, obviously, some, some clients in China. And, uh, you know, what, I was traveling a fair bit there a um, number of years ago. And, you know, one of the questions I often got asked was, you know, why are you helping the competitors? You know, you're helping other countries. You're helping people uh, develop their industry. And that's going to uh, reduce the opportunities for us. I guess my, my response was always, really, I don't see it that way. Um, these countries don't have the capability to, one, meet their dairy product needs currently and probably won't in the future, just given land base and infrastructure. But more importantly, and I think you could talk a little bit about this, is is most Asian uh, people in Asian countries, at, at least you know in the past, and that's changing, um, haven't really had either access or the the taste, if you will, their desire to consume dairy products because they didn't know about them. So certainly cheese, I think it was really rare for me to come across cheese in China. Um, yogurts, lots of drinkable yogurts were, were really popular, probably more so than the U.S. But what I saw was the opportunity as you introduce people, as those, some of those countries become more westernized and people want to eat pizza and cheeseburgers and ice cream and yogurt, now they've developed the, the taste, if you will, for those products. And if a country can't meet the needs, well, then that actually opens up more markets, perhaps, for, for exportation. Can you comment? Because I'm sure, especially as a, a Chinese dairyman in the Central Valley, those 
those questions came up or those discussions? Oh, absolutely. And I totally agree with you. Uh, as I as I mentioned, when I grown up uh, in China as a, as a kid, I never drink milk. And it's not that I don't want to drink milk. I cannot drink milk. It's, there's not no milk available. And, uh, you know, back in the 80s, even 90s, it's hard to find milk uh, in China. And because only in the, the entire country, only a few dairy farmers stay on farms. And usually those milk was supplied to government officials. Uh, and ordinary people are not able to uh, access to uh, milk. And so if you look at today, uh, you know, let's fast forward to from, you know, the 80s to now, you're looking at, you know, what produced like, you know, 30, 40 million metric tons of milk a year. And we still import about 15, 20%, okay? So supply probably about 80% of milk. But uh, the uh, the consumption per capita in China now from almost nothing back 20 years ago now is like uh, 20 liters per uh, 20, or let's say 45 pounds per um, per person, and that's 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 a dramatic increase in a very short time. And there's still a lot of room to growth. Uh, look at you know those more developed countries like Japan, or even look at Hong Kong or um, or Taiwan. They were there are, there are over 100 uh, liters, so five times more than what the Chinese are drinking now uh, in terms of uh, milk product. So, and you mentioned uh, about Pizza Hut. Yeah, if you go to, if you ever travel to Chinese every city, um, uh, that uh, you can see a Pizza Hut everywhere. And so kids like to eat pizza eh, kind of everywhere in the world. And so as, as, a, as a result, you know, cheese consumption goes up. And those are not exist before. So, uh, I don't see any conflict be- between, um, you know, the the development of the dairy industry in China or even, you know, Southeast Asia. I just came back, you know, as I mentioned to you, that I came back from the trip to Southeast Asia. Same thing. Their, their industry is developing, but there's not going to be enough. They don't have that resource to, uh, to supply enough milk for them. So they basically was still have to import a lot of products from other country. Well, thanks, Walter, and I think that's really important. Um, and one thing I've always been so impressed about in visiting with you is your your global uh, knowledge and your your global experience in terms of dairy. You know, and and um, I think for more many years now, dairy owners, dairy producers have have thought more on a global nature and the opportunities globally versus just locally or even within the U.S. But but still, I think lots of Dairies concentrate on, you know, you know, their region, um, maybe not even their entire state. When we need to really open up those opportunities um, for the entire world, and then that's some good insight. Um, Walter, I'd like to lead into, you know, some of the strategies you use, and I, and I guess looking back again from my early days in China, which was again about when you started your business, um, you know, some of the ability to increase productivity that wasn't necessarily related to forage quality or ration balancing. Certainly lots of opportunity there, especially forage quality and, 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 you know, the, just lots of the infrastructure, agronomy and so forth. But I know you spent a lot of time just focusing on reproduction. And, and at one point you, you commented how, you know, you, you, you reached a certain point with your dairy producers in terms of improved forage quality, ration balancing, uh, other ration strategies, but you couldn't make that next leap 
until they got repro fixed. And and uh, I think most you know most all dairy producers understand that really well. But uh, talk a little bit about that and how you how you work with your clients there. Oh, oh, sure, sure. And, and let me back up a little bit. You know, twenty years ago when I start going to China as a consultant, uh, there there. Very few large dairy herds. Most of them are, you know, one or two cows, uh, five cows, ten cows, are very small, uh, small holders. And, um, and so it really technology cannot apply to they, they, there's no way they can adopt any technologies. Uh, but later, you know, especially after 2008, the Malamine scandal, the uh, government started shut down all the small holders and, of course, uh, uh, milk processor also don't want to have milk being, uh, you know, uh, fortunate. They they don't want any milk coming from smallholder that can be uh, manipulated before they send it to to the process, right? So and Walter, just so as we stop. really quickly for maybe some of our younger audiences that are listening, I think for a lot of us the melamine scandal, you know, kind of was world made the media worldwide i think everyone knew about that but just just take just take a minute and and for those who maybe are less familiar what you know describe the mel- melamine melamine scandal okay sure sure so you know at the in early 2000 there was a there was a like a dairy frenzy you know the, you know government encouraging uh the the farmers to own one or two cows, even give out loans, free loans to them to buy cows. So everybody's milking cows. All the village you go, all, all of a sudden, they're buying cows left and right. And, uh, you know, I remember one of the stories that people telling me that the farmers bought some cows and, and, and it comes with rain, rain and the, the cow, all of a sudden, the black and white strap is gone. It becomes a yellow, a yellow cow. So you think about you know the the, the how hot was it that you know everybody buying cow don't even know what is a cow a hosting cow and instead of buying a local uh, uh, yellow cow you know uh, so so because everybody that you know there's no dairy culture there unlike you know United States everybody you know in the you know third and fourth generation you know, uh, milking cow you know about cows in China no nobody know about cow and. Uh, the funny is that they uh, everybody want to milk cow. They think they can make money out of milking cows. But the problem is that there is no technology. There's no. They don't know how to take care of an animal. So as a result, their milk quality is terrible. So the the processor or the government has some kind of standard for milk protein, right? So when a protein is is uh, they cannot meet the protein requirement. Like I think it was two point nine percent, which is very easy to meet, but often they're they're lower than 2.9%. And the reason is because they don't feed them right. They don't feed them enough fermentable carbohydrates, so they don't produce enough uh, milk protein. So what they do instead of feed, feed the cow, feeding the cow correctly, they, they put in stuff in the milk. And the stuff they put in is called malamine. And uh, malamine is one of the components of fertilizer, but it's, uh, it's actually, when you add into the milk, it can be dangerous when uh, when the uh, human consume it, and especially for babies. So at the time, around 2007, 2008, there were babies, I don't know, 20-some babies got killed or something. And that was a huge, huge news uh, worldwide. And it, it happened in the time that uh, China hosts the Olympics. And so the government hold the news down for, I don't know, for a month or two until they cannot hold it more anymore, and they release the news. So the entire industry collapsed overnight 
nobody can sell milk. You have to, I remember when I was working with my clients, uh, Hua Xia Dairy, they have to dump milk to the drain because there's nobody taking any milk, nobody drinking milk. It was a disaster. So it was adulteration of milk with melamine to, to artificially raise milk protein. So when it went to the plant, the, the milk tested at, say, 3.2 protein, and they got they met the standard when it, it was just all adulterated and adulterated with a chemical that, that was harmful to humans. So, um, but, but, exactly. but go ahead. So uh, I didn't want to derail you there, but I think for, for some listeners, yeah. um, they would be less aware of that scandal. Certainly, certainly. So, so when uh, after that, then the industry basically have a uh, consolidation or you know, you know, overhaul of the entire industry. So, government put that in very tight regulation. What type of dairy you can have and all that, and all the small farms have to go into a community farm and milk in a as a, a collective milking center. Um, and that that was going on for a while, but it didn't work. So later, then consolidate again. Uh, become individual farms. So, you know, people bring, you know, one or two cows, five cows, and then later they just sold to some of the owners. So it, it kept growing. Uh, so become individual farms. But what really changes the industry is all the, uh, in, you know, investors, foreign investors and some other uh, business people that got interested in saw the opportunity and start to invest in the dairy industry. And there was a boom between uh, uh, 2000. 10 to 2014, I believe, um, there are a lot of, uh, of foreign investment pouring to the, the dairy industry and building a lot of, built a lot of uh, large dairy operations, what we call mega farms, 10,000 head uh, operations. Uh, as of today, you can see when you go to China, you will see now a lot of uh, mega farms. So, but even with all these uh, uh, newly built farms, the uh, farming, the dairy farming, is still new to most of the people, and that's why we start a lot of a dairy uh, training program. And uh, as you mentioned uh, uh, earlier about the uh, reproduction, yes, I do focus on a lot of reproduction because most of the farms they are not, they don't know how to get the cows pregnant. So their the preg rate, you know, you look at the record, the preg rate is about less than 10%. So when you cannot get cows pregnant, certainly they're not able to produce milk, right? Very simple. So in order as a nutritionist, of course, I want to focus on nutrition, focus on forage quality, but if they don't get the cows pregnant, there's no way you can help them improve their production. So what we do is instead is to focus on the reproduction. And we'll focus on production using, you know, the latest technology, you know, pre-sing, off-sing, double-sing, and all of a sudden, the, their uh, reproduction improved dramatically. You know, as you know, today, if you go to China, there are a lot of uh, farms that even over 30% crack rate, and uh, that's incredible in a very short period of time. And production-wise, uh, is more than double uh, national, nas- nationally. Uh, back in 20 years ago, you're looking at about 4,000 4, Leaders, uh, average, and now you're you're looking at over eight thousand, and some of the farms, uh, as you know, you, you some of your clients too is over you know twelve thousand uh, liters, which is roughly like twenty five thousand pounds uh, per year, and in average, so you know that's a big uh, change from twenty years ago. No, certainly, Walter. <clears throat> uh, you know, we are now working with herds, like you said, that have uh, preg preg rates in the 
and, you know, in the thirties and, and, and milk production, you know, 43, 45 liters in some, in some cases, you know, well over a hundred pounds uh, of milk. So, you know, amazing progression, if you think about it, of really starting, um, you know, 20 years ago with, with no dairy industry and a handful of cows to, to, you know, progressing to that. And, and, and certainly, yeah, the infrastructure, the management or so forth would be on par with any, any modern, uh, facility in any, in any, uh, country. Um, so Walter, you know, day to day, you're, you know, uh, obviously you're consulting with clients with many different, uh, aspects of dairy management. We could talk a little bit about, you know, the software that you have, but also just what are some of the key nutritional strategies, you know, that, that, that you have, uh, you know, day to day, uh, for our listeners out there, you know, what, what matters to them? It matters to, um, you know, produce milk, uh, uh, at a, at a uh, cost that, you know, obviously the, the, the net uh, income over feed costs and, and so forth, you know, so what are the, what are the processes that you and your, your team use and, and some of your thoughts uh, of, uh, maximizing the opportunity for the dairy, the dairy producer? Certainly, certainly. Uh, you know, in fact, in China, dairy uh, dairies are facing a more challenge than we do because they they have to rely on import of uh, many things. Alfalfa hay, for example, is pretty much imported from the United States, uh, and uh, they have to import DDGs, soybean meal, a lot of stuff is imported, and so as a result, the cost is quite high. So fee cost is high, even though milk price is pretty decent. You know, we're Looking at probably about twenty four, twenty five dollars underway there right now, uh, but it's still a challenge because their fee cost is is much much higher than uh, than the United States here. So we always have to focus on efficiency, right? The higher production you have, the lower cost, right? Will lower your dilute your 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 uh, cost. So my focus always on trying to improve the forage quality because you know uh easy to get the grain there it's it's hard to get the cows to eat more if the forage quality is not there so number 1 is a consolidation so for the last 20 years i remember when i first went to china my first seminar was about consolidation how to make consolidation uh, in northeast of heilongjiang uh that was my first seminar and people didn't know what is Corn silage because everybody was feeding corn stockage, what uh, basically the corn stocks are left over after they harvest the corn, and there's no way they can produce this type, this kind of milk production if they're feeding corn stockage. And we go down to south, southern China, most people are feeding uh, rice rice straws to their cows as as a main forage. So these are the limitations. You know, even if you import the cows from Australia, from New Zealand, those cows capable of producing 30, 40 liters, but they will produce, instead of produce only like 10, 15 liters. So that's the main focus, improved quality of, of, of corn silage. And people start to accept corn silage and slowly they're uh, improving uh, from beginning of the, uh, uh, about 2010, they were still struggling Making good corn silage. Uh, their dry matter is very low, you know, 20, in, the, in the mid 20s, uh, and the starch is very low, you know, around probably 18, 20%. Now everybody's focus, focusing on making good corn silage. So some of my clients actually make excellent corn silage. I mean, as good as we can get here, 
even though their bright the variety of corn starch may not be the variety that we use here, but they can make pretty similar quality and not just starch content, dry matter content, but also fiber digestibility. So everybody now is focusing on that, and that make a, makes a big difference. So uh, one of my clients recently just reached uh, 43, 44 liters now. I think it's getting close to 45 liters. And uh, and I found that what make what makes a difference is was the uh, uh, corn silage and then alfalfa hay. This the forage makes a big difference in terms of uh, milk production. Walter, I think that's um, you know some really interesting insight. You know the 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 degree to which you know you've been pushed because your clients have been pushed with feed costs, right? You're saying you know lots of imported feed. You know, alfalfa hay, I'm sure a lot of people didn't realize that, you know, corn silage is grown locally in China, but, but almost all of the um, alfalfa hay and even, you know, uh, uh, oat straw, good quality oat straw is imported from, from Australia. Um, so, you know, those, those I think, are, are great opportunities even for U.S.-based dairies as you, you really challenge that to the next level of, of those feed costs. What have you found also, you know, access to... Um, to other products and so forth. Is that, has that been real limiting? Uh, you know, there's lots of supplements on the market and, and I know there's plenty that exist in China. What's generally your approach when you're evaluating a, a supplement, um, you know, especially given some of those uh, extra import costs? Yeah, there, there's actually a lot of uh, supplements, uh, fee additives has been uh, exported to China. So you can see a lot of them are uh, available in the market, but their, their cost is extremely high. Usually, uh, if you see a product in the United States, in you know in the United States, and it's also available in China, the price in in China probably about two or three times more, and that's how you know how much it costs you, and not just the shipping cost, but everything else, marketing, you know, everything else, all the costs adds up, and of course, any product goes to China have to go through a registration with the uh, the uh, Ministry of Agriculture, and the process all takes long. Takes long time, also takes uh, money to uh, uh, to get product registered. So that's why the cost is so high. And uh, there are also a lot of local products, but most of the local products are not really research based. So in other words, you really cannot trust a lot of local uh, make products. But you know, dairymen don't know very much, so they have to often ask us as a consultant that uh, whether this product is reliable, I always always tell them that you need to look at, ask them for more information, ask them about research, you know, and then send, you know, if they any publish any research. Some they do, they've done some research, some product, they'll they'll conduct some research by the university there, uh, and you have to look at carefully how the research is interpreted. So it's not very easy. Uh, it's kind of, kind of confused for most of the people when I look at all these uh, uh additives and supplements available in the market. Yeah, and obviously, given the 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 you know two to three times cost, a huge uh, investment, and you really need to make sure that return is there to 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 use those products. Um, so I I think that's uh you know some great experience. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You you uh that's why I always recommend that they either have to look at if they have research being done, or they need to you know. Hire someone to conduct some research to really compare and see if that is truly uh, the return on investment is good for them. And Walter, I think that's another um, interesting. You say research. 
I noticed just really in the last few years, the, the number of publications in Journal of Dairy Science that are coming out of China, impressive. You know, um, years ago, you, you nothing to maybe a publication here and there. And a lot of those publications, I think, were, were really uh, esoteric, academic, you know, not really applicable when you when you looked at the title or read the abstract, but um, more now, gee, I, I think in this year, yeah, almost every issue has a, a few um, publications from China. So that that's impressive to see, um, you know, what research is also coming out of the universities there. Yeah, yeah, that, that's true. And I think part of it is that you know uh, people realize that they uh, they need to, you know, especially you know, in universities, uh, professors they. They feel they need to uh, publish papers in uh, uh, a well-known journal so that they can get credit for it. If they only publish in China, probably not uh, not very well recognized. So uh, that's why they're pushing a lot of people. They they even for graduate student, they need to publish their paper in Journal of Dairy Science so they can get gra- they can graduate from school. Oh, excellent! Yeah, that's excellent, and, and great to see you know some of the research that's coming from there. Um, Walter, along those lines of research, obviously for, for good quality research, we need good quality data. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, quite a number of years ago, you started working on a, on a software platform. Um, you know, that was really based on the fact that um, a lot of the imported softwares that, that we might know in the U.S. Or, or Mexico dairy industry really well, just quite didn't fit the, the, the Chinese um uh, management style, if you will, or, or even, you know, obviously there's translations and so forth, but not even to that extent, just even the management and the need of that software. So can, can you give the audience a little bit of background of, of uh, your your program, Aladdin, and, and, you know, how that's been utilized, impressive number of cows that are on that platform now? Sure, sure. So uh, when I first started out uh, doing consulting in China, the first thing I, I realized that you need data. And uh, most of the farm at the time, they don't have even have any any data. They they probably have a X. You know, the most they have is Excel spreadsheet that record you know record some numbers. But they don't really have a real uh, management software to manage the herd. And that makes very challenge for me to analyze you know how things are going at the farm. You know, in terms of you know production, the production, and everything else. Uh, so. So I recognize the shortage. So we, I was pushing very hard for all my clients to use American software uh, to manage their herd. And, and, and as you mentioned, the translation is, uh, is a challenge. Uh, but most important, the concept is quite different. They don't perceive the same thing that we perceive here. So it's, it's very difficult for them to understand why you need to do this, why you need to do that. And also the complication of the software that makes uh, make them hard, makes hard for them to use. So that's when I start realizing we need to develop something for uh, for the industry there. So in nineteen in twenty fifteen, uh, we start to uh, put out a first version of our system. Developed a system called uh, Aladdin, and our fo- first focus was on implementing protocols. Uh, like I mentioned earlier about the reproduction protocol, if you don't have a software to implement a protocol, it's difficult to implement, right? You just tell them how to do, but they just don't do it. So, but with the software, you are able to basically every single day, you print out a list or send out a list to their uh, cell phone 
that this cow need injection, you know, either PG or GnRH. So it makes it very simple for them to implement your probe. They don't need to ask why or how. They just do it. And, and then you can see the result, right? So that's when we first put out the very simple version of Aladdin. And then later we uh, uh, perfecting it, uh, make it into now, today we call it Unidary, a cloud-based Unidary uh, platform. And now we have 1.4 million cows running on the platform. And most of the large dairy groups are on our system. We have probably the top 10 of the la- uh, the uh, large uh, largest uh, dairy groups on our, our platform. So we have a lot of data to analyze. And I wish I would, um, you know, we're trying to look into some of the big data because once you have a lot of data on the cloud, you are able to run a lot of analysis uh, after you clean up all the data, of course. So um, I'm eager to look into how we can uh, uh, to analyze those data and uh, and for the benefit of the uh, the industry or get more gain more insights about how the dairy um, uh, will work or all the strategy or protocols uh, that will work. That's really exciting, Walter, and and yeah, we we all know that you know not only from the research side but just day to day management. Um, we need that data, but also, you know, uh, the confidence in the data, right? Because what do they say? Bad data is worse than no data at all, right? And and um, certainly we, we, we have seen, uh, you know, errors in decisions being made based on data that's not correct or over-interpretation of the data also, right? It, it, oh, we, we, totally think we, see, yeah, we think we see something, but it's not there. Yeah, actually, I, I just finished a webinar for... for uh, a group uh, global global solutions uh, nutrition webinar, but I, I talked about database decision making and just the different uh, processes that we can use, and and uh, so all this is fresh. But one comment, w- one of the slides they had, uh, you know, the the daily variation that we see in milk production is often more than the effect that we can measure uh, from a product in a trial, but that effect is actually uh, beneficially economically. So. You know, if, if, if our daily variation is more than what we're looking for from a product, how are you going to do a before and after or even have a few pens randomly, you know, assigned, if you will? So, um, Oh, absolutely. And I totally agree. And then when I look at the data, we had a, uh, a, a big data uh, conference is actually coming up uh, this, uh, this, I think, uh, December 15 in Guangzhou. And uh, we're running some data uh, on our platform, you know, to uh, look at some data. Uh, it'll be exciting to see. And, and certainly what I see, you know, we have to eliminate a lot of bad, bad data, like you say, because, you know, some of the farms may not input it correctly. Uh, fortunately, you know, many years ago, we realized that issue. And so we, we kind of um, define many things clearly so that when people input the data, it will be the same same thing they were looking for. For example, you call you call Metridi, you call the same name. You don't call a different name. And so when you define that clearly, then they most likely they're not gonna input it wrong, right? But still, there's a lot of you know missing data and these and that. So certainly, there's uh, is you know it's important to look at the data and clean up the data before we try to interpret it. You know what's what really means. No, that's a, that's a great point. You know, benchmarking is a is a is a great tool for monitoring, but, you know, to actually make decisions off of it, like you said, you know, is, is this pneumonia and pneumonia, is this metritis and metritis, or, uh, you know, was it recorded correctly, what have you. So, you know, those, those points are really well taken. Well, Walter, the, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for your insight. Um, 
you know, again, uh, really intriguing background and, and, uh, and hopefully you've given the audience here some, some insight as to, uh, you know, international dairy, international ag, and, and, and just your experience and, and also the opportunity, how that could, uh, you know, open up, uh, markets. And, and I think even, you know, uh, along the lines and, um, maybe get some arguments about, you know, uh, exportations and so forth, but you know, the need of, of, of grains and, and, and products, uh, exportation to China and so forth, uh, you know, so, uh, extended markets in the, in the ag industry. It is time to our famous three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Fibro Animal Health Corporation, healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Diamond V, because animal health deserves a healthier approach. DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. I guess with that, you know, we've been wrapping up these these dairy podcast uh, show uh, podcasts with with a few questions. I guess one um, is uh, what is a uh, either a book or a resource that you you look to um, for dairy industry. Uh, advice uh you know what's up and coming uh any recommendations for the audience oh uh most of the resources of books or or uh journals i look at you know journal of dairy science um i'm a member of uh uh american dairy science association and um so i i always uh, like to read the most uh recent uh, publications uh and also i always uh pay attention to those you know most common journals probably Everybody's looking at, you know, dairy herd management, progress, it's dairyman. Uh, all these are good information for me uh, that I want to learn. And also, I also pay attention to a lot of uh, extension uh, websites where they will publish, uh, you know, information, new research information and all that. That is really uh, helped me to uh, keep up with the uh, uh, update, the, 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 uh, the uh, information the, the current information. Okay. Oh, that that's great. Yeah. So a wide range. And then what about outside of dairy? When you're not uh, when you when you're not uh, connected to China or 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 uh, enjoying time with your son Daniel, uh, what what do you have any good good read lately? Uh not really. I was just trying to read some uh, books that uh, on the bookshelves I have here. You know, and uh, but is not really any particular. I I spend a lot of time working on. Uh, the technical side of things, uh, trying to read more uh, journals uh, and trying to, uh, trying to update myself. And so I, I really, you know, don't spend a lot of time doing other leisure things. I, I guess too busy. <laughs> That's maybe one excuse. <laughs> yeah, or, or, or you're, you're telling me you're yeah, uh, uh, working on uh, math, uh, math problems with your son, helping him with his homework, right? So you're... <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I'm trying to, trying to. Uh, Great. And then I guess, you know, and I think you have a really good insight here from, from China, U.S., your own dairy experience. What do you think is something that really sets, sets aside apart the, the uh, you know, I'll say progressive profitable dairy producer uh, in terms of, uh, you know, some items, some things? Well, I, I think it's uh, all the same. You know, I, I remember when I was working with Dairyman in California here back in you know, the late 90, early uh, 2000, the same thing, you know, I have, you know, different clients and the ones always very progressive is they always focus on efficiency, always, always focus on cow comfort 
they would uh, spend time to uh, with the cows and uh, to see you know what area they can improve. And the same thing, you know, in China, you know, the the we have you know clients from hundreds thousands of cows to clients only milk you know a couple thousand cows. And the same thing, the one that really uh, do well is always focus on cows. The cows are their number one priority. Whether you know the comfortable, whether they're clean, um, you know, whether they, the cooling system's working perfect or not, you know, it's always something that they, they, uh, focus on to make improvement. And those are really doing well. So even in a bad time when milk price is low, they are, they're still okay. You don't, you know, most of people wait until, uh, when, when, until they, they're having trouble and then start the cut costs. And that's making even worse, right? When when things are worse, and now you're gonna try to feed something cheaper, they ask me, "Oh, can I feed this? Can I feed this waste? Can I feed that to cheapen the, the ration?" No, it make it worse, right? So I think the mentality uh, is that you focus on efficiency, no matter what, no matter it's a good time or bad time, uh, and then you can, when bad time comes, you can weather that uh, better than other people. I really appreciate the response, Walter, because you you need to run the dairy like a business. So efficiency, you need to keep economics and, and efficiency in line, but then don't forget the cow. And and I think that's so important, and especially with some negative connotation in in uh, you know with some social media and, and and so forth against factory farms and so forth. Um, you know, it is a business. You need to run it efficiently, but don't forget the individual cow. And I, I think that's a that's a, uh, some great points to leave our audience with today. Um, so, uh, again, thanks so much for joining. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully we've, we've made time here that you can uh, get off to, to pick up uh, Daniel uh, from school and enjoy some time before connecting to the, the night rotation in China. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor. Uh, a pleasure. Great. Take care, Walter. <laughs>